title of this series is called Justified, a legal term which means you have been acquitted, found to be in good standing. It's a courtroom term. Justification by faith was the ringing slogan during the Reformation period 500 years ago. A German monk by the name of Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the Wittenberg church door. We call it the religious shot heard around the world. Uh, really, by the end of the evening, there wasn't anything significant to it, but over the next 10 years, dramatic things began to happen. Martin's God-guided guts planted the seeds for de democratic governments, recognition of law being primary, the rule of law over the rule of men, whether they were kings, monarchs, queens, popes, whatever. And because he had the courage to stand up in the face of what had been unquestionable authority, the absolutism of the monarchies of Europe, absolutism is a term that we use historically for that period when the word of the king was the law. It was rex lex, king law. What the king said was the law. When Martin finished, it had been flipped upside down. The law Lex Rex, the law is king. And of course they were, they were appealing to not the law just in the sense of the Old Testament legal system, but the law generally as the whole word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. Statutes of the Lord are right, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. In keeping of them there is great reward, the Bible says. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. So we're talking about not rules, but just the whole idea of the Word of God, the Word of God that is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. Hebrews 4 says it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Somebody say amen. Amen. Um, I love it when I get in the Word and it just starts to roll. It's like God dips the bucket down in the well and here it comes. and Because uh, he can do a better job preaching than I can any day. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Justified, uh, the word just comes from that. The famous phrase, the just shall live by faith, was what Martin made famous. It was justification by faith alone was the issue during the Reformation period. And it shook the world radically changed people's views of the power of thrones and the power of the Pope and returned a respect for the finality, the supremacy, the, pre the premium place of the Word of God in society. Um, the title of the message this morning, the series is Justified. The title of the message is called, Can You Handle It? Look at your neighbor and say, Can You Handle It? You know, we've all gone through circumstances that we knew were challenges, sometimes mountains we thought are too high to cross and valleys too low that sometimes bring depression and fear and doubt. <clears throat> and we have, thank God, friends that are there that are saying, come on, God's with us. You can handle it. I believe you can handle it. Do you? Can you handle it? And we're looking for an encouraging yes to follow. And so the question has to do with, am I ready for what's in front of me? Um... The series text is found in Galatians 3. If you would look with me, now hang on before you read anything until we get there and I'll tell you when to read. It says, so it's clear that no one can be made right, righteous, just. No one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. In other words, we can't earn it by all of our good works. It says, for the scriptures say, and everybody read, here we go. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. That's the New Living Translation, a little bit more... Uh, plain, I think, in terms of 21st century English. But the familiarity that you have is with the, with the old English, King Jimmy. And it says, say it with me, the just shall live by faith. It appears in Habakkuk, the Old Testament minor prophet. It appears in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and then again in Hebrews chapter 10. So uh, the just shall live by faith. That's the series text. That's the central verse that comes to us because Paul keeps hammering it over and over and over again to a group of churches that he's writing this letter to be cycled, to be sent through all the Galatian churches in a region and to be read in the congregation. So they would gather together and 
sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, according to Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. And they would gather, and then they would read the letter. So this is kind of like Paul is showing up and preaching to them. But they would read all six chapters in one sitting. We've kind of lost the ability to do that. And we've really, I think, for the most part, kind of gone to more of a break it down and study it a little bit at a time. Though I think that when you read one of these letters, it's best to just, just immerse yourself. You know, six chapters is not that long or hard. Sit down and read all of it and just ask the Holy Spirit to open up to you and let you see the things that will sort of pop off the page at you. Because he can custom make the word that you need to hear where your personal area of growth is currently. And so we are currently in chapter 4. We're opening chapter 4. This is message number 5. We're going to do 9. So we're about halfway around the racetrack in the book of Galatians and we'll be heading into the home stretch in the next couple of weeks. Galatians chapter 4 verse 7. This is the key text. This is the one verse. If you have a card in your seat and you're memorizing scripture with me, then this is the one you want to take time to write down. If you would, look up and read it with me. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now that's really pretty simple. It flows logically. Now, everybody say now. Not something you're waiting to see happen. It's not one of these days you'll be delivered no longer a slave. But now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since... Since that's an established fact, and since you are his child, God has made you his heir, okay? And so take a moment and write that down on your card or the back of your bulletin if you don't have to have a card in your seat. We've been putting three by five cards in through the series. And I want you to take the challenge of memorizing that this week because this is about who you are. So much of Bible Belt churchianity emphasizes who you were and never grows the people in the reality of who we are now. Everybody say now. And so now is important. The past has its effects, but now in Christ something has changed. The cross changes everything. The blood of Jesus that was shed on that cross ultimately. Uh, the one thing that I want to bring to you is tied up in the meaning of what we're going to be breaking down this morning in about 20 verses quickly. Um, the one thing that I'm bringing is this. Relationship determines identity, but maturity determines authority. Relationship determines identity. Who I am is depending on whose I am, who I belong to, the one in whom I am in relationship with. God is my father. I am his child. I'm no longer a slave. But I'm his child, and since I'm his child, he's made me an heir. So my relationship determines my identity, who I see myself as, and it's all about who am I relating to. I'm in relationship with the Father, the creator of the universe, and because I am, I am a child of God. That is my identity. My identity is determined by my relationship, but maturity, everybody say grow up, now, most of the church world is consumed with, or has been, I think it's at some point here, it's going to have to, you know, sort of just, what's the right word to use? I'm filtering. It's just going to have to kind of die off, you know, because we're 2017, and, you know, all the prophecy books predicted that we'd be raptured out by, by 1988, and then again in 92, and then again in 96, and for sure before the year 2000 hit because it was Y2K and the whole whole thing was going to explode computer-wise. And um, various times by 08, I remember Jack Van Impey coming on TV and was sure we were going to be gone by 08, and he'd already said all these other dates that would be come and gone. I remember the big thing around the whole nation, Harold Camping, people sold their houses and spent money on outdoor advertising, putting up billboards that said we would be gone by May, and that was like three years ago, May of like 20. 14, I think, and we just had all of these ridiculous dates set, and y'all still here? I don't know about y'all, but I'm still here. Look at your neighbor and say, you still here? And, and, and so the whole church world, or at least, I'm sorry, not the whole church world, but a, an aberrant sex, sector of it that's particularly motivated by what Charles Spurgeon called a heresy, it's called dispensationalism, which uh, is the father of all of this nonsensical date setting, 
um, when I say the whole church, the whole church is not, but a significant portion of the church, at least those who command the airwaves, are constantly on this. They're, they're consumed with going up. And how many of you know God's concerned with us what? Everybody say growing up. And, and so we're going to see this this morning that my identity is established because I'm in relationship with the Father. But whether or not I ever have any authority in the kingdom of God is dependent on my maturity. And maturity comes by willingly taking responsibility. Too often we pray for God to grow us, grow our faith, grow our love. How many of you know if you ask God to help you love people, He's going to put some unlovely folk in your path? And you pray for God to help you love more, and then when He sends you the folks that are going to help you, you're like cursing it and binding the devil and all kind of stuff. I bind in Jesus' name, that idiot at my work. Well, now, wait a minute. You prayed for God to help you love better. I'm helping somebody in this room this morning, and we pray and ask God to give us more faith, and then he gives us a mountain that we've got to blow into the sea, and then we get upset about it and go, and we whine and we gritch about it. And you know what that word is, and, and gripe and something else. And, and, and so, we, you know, it's like, are you kidding me? When we pray, God answers our prayers by giving us a problem. Come on, between the promise and the provision of God, there's always a problem. And if you whine about the problem, you never stop to realize that in that problem are the seeds to its own solution. And in that problem, you start to prove your faith and you start to walk in God. And it's like the, the bodybuilder who gets in the gym and, and because of resistance, he, he or she begins to make their muscles work and, and they break them down. And then when they repair, they grow larger. And it's in the same way that God will bring difficulty and problems into your life to help you grow, to answer your prayers so you can have more faith, so you can trust God more. And it's like he's going, he's giving you a free gym membership. Come on, get in the spiritual gym with me and grow in the Holy Ghost. And come on, press some weights and qu qu cut out your panty waist Christianity and pick up the weights and start saying it in faith and, and get under that bench press of faith and begin to trust God and stop trying to bind the devil because it isn't the devil. God's got you hidden in Christ. The devil can't even know where you are. Are anybody hearing me this morning? It's crazy how we pray for God to help us and grow us and then when he sends something to help us and grow us, we're all upset about it and frustrated and, and just, just losing faith and crying and whining about it and trying to bind the devil. And, and we just need to get up and go, God, I, there's a problem, there's an obstacle, there's a river I can't cross and I can't swim. Either teach me how to swim or open up the Red Sea. You did it before, I believe you can do it again. God, whatever it's going to do, I believe you're going to grow my faith in the middle of this. I believe you're going to teach me how to walk in love. I believe you're going to, you're going to increase patience in my life. Now don't ever pray for that. Oh, Lord, don't pray for patience. Because when you pray for patience, you're going to be put into a situation where the impatience that's already a part of you has a way of sort of oozing out. I'll just confess my sin to you. Nothing makes me more impatient than to be on an interstate in some slow, in the passing lane, and I, I'm going somewhere. I know where I'm going. I'm not just trying to go nowhere in a hurry. I know where I'm headed. And I'm going, I, I'm going I, I wish I had like a sign on my car that says, slower traffic, keep right. <laughs> Nothing will affect. You know, it's amazing too how we all look at ourselves as if, if we were the perfect balance. Every, we're living the balanced life. Everybody else is to the left or the right of us. Just get in a car and you'll see how that proves for you. Because everybody who drives faster than you is a maniac and everybody who drives slower than you is a moron. Get that moron off the road. And you're over it. Oh my gosh, he's a maniac. We're a mess. Can you just acknowledge it right now? Just say, I know I'm a mess. But I love, I have a Savior. Come on, somebody. I have a Savior in Jesus. Hallelujah. Relationship determines identity, but maturity. Grow up. And maturity determines authority. You, you, I, I was born on a Wednesday morning, 828, December 28, 1960. I was supposed to be a Christmas baby. I was three days late, and my mama said that I've been late for the rest of my life. 
whether that's true or not. I feel like I've gotten pretty good at being better punctual. I, I know every Sunday I go a little bit over, so I guess I'm late for making the deadline at noon. I guess stopping to tell that probably is a factor in why I'm late for making the deadline at noon. <laughs> but I'm just trying to be real. So um, I was born into the family, and I immediately was identified because of my relationship. I have the DNA of Grady and Mary Smith in my life, in my body. I grew up in their home. Nature determined DNA-wise some of the aspects of who I am. Nurture determined a whole lot of what the other is. How I act, how I view the world, nature and nurture are all involved. And so I am their son, I'm their child. Uh, I immediately had all of the privileges, uh, in, in potential anyway, as an heir. But you know, when I came home from the hospital, Daddy didn't put the keys to the car in my hand. Why not? Because I needed to what? Kathy's helping me. Everybody say, grow up. I was not ready yet. I was not ready to, I, I, I wasn't old enough. I couldn't speak yet. I, I, I couldn't walk. I, I didn't have, hadn't developed motor skills. I hadn't developed thinking faculties and functions uh, that you need to be able to exercise when you get behind the wheel of an automobile in terms of dealing with other people and how to relate to people properly and being respectful and being responsible and all of these things that come with, everybody say, maturity. Relationship determines identity. I'm identified as a son of Grady. I am a Smith. I'm son of Smith. Okay, And that's not changing. But as a child, I don't have all of the authority that I will have later in life as I become a grown man. As a matter of fact, um, someone said one time, and I believe there's truth to this, that we don't really fully mature until we have raised our own children and let them loose sent them into the world as adults, so 1821, wherever you consider that mark, um, then when we let them go and they fly out of the nest, then that's when we really have reached finally a place of maturity as human beings. I think there's some reality to that. I'm grateful to have children whom after um, leading their lives for a number of years and gradually letting them take those steps on their own based on my approval and certainly first and final what the Word said, they call me now and say, Dad, this is the opportunity I have or this is the decision I have to make. Would you be praying with me? Okay, let's pray this week and we'll, we'll talk on the weekend. And so I'll call Drew back or he'll call me and he said, Dad, what do you sense? And would you pray for me? I'm, I'm thinking about changing jobs. I've got another opportunity here. And, um, and let me just say it this way. He literally gets two or three job offers a week. He is listed in the top five salesmen in the nation in transportation. And so just because an opportunity comes doesn't mean that he's going to take it. Because you know something? If you're going to ever succeed in anything, you have to learn how to say no to the right things that you say no to. And you have to learn to say yes to the right things and be faithful and committed. Somebody say faithful. Say committed. And so we've got to follow through with the commitments that we've made. And so he'll say, this is here and this is an opportunity. What do you think? And well, let's pray about it. And so we'll get back together. And ultimately I'll say, what are you sensing in your own heart? Same thing with Abby. Doors opening. Just crazy, crazy. I mean, I could start a list. I have a list in my prayer journal sitting right there on that front row of all of the names in the music industry, producers, recording artists, world-class celebrities who, who want to do things with my daughter from little old Marion, Arkansas, and it just blows my mind. And, and she says, you know, Dad, I have to have wisdom, and I just pray that the Lord will guide me where whoever I'm supposed to hang with. Because, you know, she grew up knowing that bad company corrupts good character. And let me just tell you this, success is a far greater test than poverty is. Because when you don't know where your next meal's coming from, it's real easy to, 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 to pray and say, God, I need you. But when you're rolling in the... Whatever, as Adele says, rolling in the deep, I guess. When you're rolling in it and you got all kind of success around, the real de the test is are you still going to keep your trust in God? And so that's what we're battling for. God, keep, keep our trust and our hope in you and you alone. Somebody say amen. And so relationship determines identity, but maturity determines authority. So this morning, as we look to this passage of Scripture, let me, uh, there we go. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you're his child, God has made you his heir. First point that I want to bring is understanding placement. Everybody say placement. 
it's important that we discern uh, how God has uniquely made us. We find our lane and we run in it. Scripture likens the journey in Christ to running a race. And it's uh, Paul the Apostle used a lot of Olympic imagery. And uh, the foot race, uh, if you've ever been to a decathlon or um, we're not talking a marathon here. And I want you to remember that the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. I tell young believers that all the time. They want to grow and they want to grow right now. And they want to do all these things and accomplish all these things. And I'm just going, man, just, just learn to enjoy the everyday. Keep your faith and your trust in God. And remember that you're in this for the long haul. This is not a sprint where you gear up and you run with all of your might for three minutes and then quit. This is a, a marathon. You keep running. Uh, but, but the race that I'm talking about is when you, we pass uh, like a, a foot race where we are passing the baton. What's that race called? Relay, thank you. I couldn't, it wouldn't come to me. And so we're passing the baton from one generation to the next, and, and, and you begin in a lane, and you have, to, you have to stay in that lane because they're staggered all the way around the, the beginning of the, the field in order to make sure that everybody's running the same distance, the same link. And so you have to stay in your lane. And when you discern what your lane is, how God has gifted you, your natural abilities, your personal life experiences, the desires of your heart, you know, the, the family you were raised in, uh, the things that you really gravitate toward, how he's gifted you, and different gifts exist in this room. I, my father was gifted dramatically with mechanical skills, didn't have a lot of formal education, but he, was ju- he could just look at something and know how to take it apart, put it back together. I remember one time, we, uh, Abby wasn't born yet, Drew was a little boy, and we're living in the house over here on Carlisle and Balfour at the corner, and the dryer went out. And so dad came over and took the dryer apart and uh, I think put a new belt on it or something and, and fixed it. I don't ex- remember exactly, and that probably isn't right. I'm probably just making that part up. But whatever it was, it wasn't working. And so he fixed it, and when he finished, and it was all back, put back in its place and turned it on. It's running. And so he held out his hand like this, and I said, what's that? And he said, hold out your hand. And so I held out my hand, and about 50 screws he handed to me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, because I'm a little bit OCD. And, and, you know, everything in its, everything has a place, and everything in its place is kind of my, my mantra. And um, so he said, you don't, you don't need those. And I was just like freaking out. And do you know that dryer ran six years more until we had to buy a new one? And Daddy was right. I didn't need those. I don't know how he knew all that, but I didn't need them. <laughs> kind of freaked me out a little bit at first. And Dawn was going, oh, my gosh, my dryer, you know. <laughs> And so, sure enough, it ran six more years. Um, understanding placement. We have a lane to run in, and we need to find our lane, and we need to stay in our lane. Too many times we look at somebody else's gifts, talents, callings, destiny on their life, and we want to do that instead of taking the energy and the time to find out the blessing that God has put on your life uniquely, how He's made you, because we're not all the same. And so understanding placement is the emphasis I want to bring. Let's go to Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Paul says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until, everybody say until, but finish it. What do you see up there? Until they what? Grow up. Remember, relationship determines identity, but maturity determines authority. So it says until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. You can be born into a a family that is a a billionaire status, but does it mean that you have any authority to exercise buying and selling, trading, land, real estate, stocks and bonds, making legal decisions? You're an heir, but you don't have any authority. And so it says, though the child is in a house that has the rightful position to everything, he is no really different from the slaves because until he grows up. Everybody say until. So until is a time word. It's not forever. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I couldn't wait until I was 16 and I could drive. Or wait till I was 21. Or wait till I was going to college. And and then I remember griping and whining about it when I was there because life was so hard. And I think back now, man, how great would it be if all I had to do was just get up and go to class and make a good grade and a decent grade in the class. I had so little responsibility and so little pressure. And life is so different now. And how great it would be to go back to that. 
So I tell young kids all the time that are in high school and griping about it or, or college, I'm going, enjoy every second, embrace every moment. You're preparing for your future. It says in verse 2, these children that are no different than slaves, it says they have to obey their guardians. There's that word again. What is it? Everybody say, until. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. The age of, say it, maturity. Okay? And that's the way it was with, before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time, everybody say the right time. I love that because there's a right time in your life. There's a right time when preparation meets success. There's a right time because you've shown up and been committed. You've followed through. You've been faithful in the little things. And God says, when you're faithful in the little, I will make you ruler over much. And when promotion comes, nobody can stop it because it's not from the the east or the west or the south, but it's from the north, the sides of the north where God dwells. And he promotes you, and it's just like blowing everybody away. How does that happen? I want to tell you, with both of my kids, they just say, you know what, this is just the favor of God. I've met a lot of talent. Abby said there's a lot of talented singers out there. Why did God open these doors for me? And I, I said, baby, it's a stewardship. Guard it, steward it, and honor God in everything you do. And, 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 and I think that's something we should, we should do. We should practice in our lives. There's a right time. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Verse 5, God sent Him to buy freedom. Everybody say, buy freedom. King James uses the word to redeem. To redeem us. For we were slaves to the law. So that, or in order that, or why... This is telling us why God sent His Son to buy us freedom. It wasn't just so we could say we're free, but it's so that He could adopt us as His very own children. Everybody say adopt. We're going to talk about adoption in just a minute. I'm going to shed some light on it that I believe probably a whole lot of you in the room have never heard this before, and I'm excited about bringing it to you. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. Verse 6, And because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. Okay. Verse 7 is our text that we're memorizing. Now you are no longer a slave but God's own child, and since you're His child, God has made you His heir. So, I want to clarify for a moment the Hebrew idea of adoption. It is not the Western concept of taking a homeless, fatherless, motherless orphan and bringing him or her into your house and legally making that child your heir. People have preached it that way for years. You've probably been in church, those of you who've grown up in various churches, especially in the Bible Belt, heard it in a good Baptist church, a good Bible-believing Methodist church or whatever, you, you've heard this taught in terms of that as Gentiles, we're adopted. And it's kind of the idea that we, you, you sort of come away thinking that it's the Jew that's the real favored child, favored son, and that we as the adopted Gentile children are, are kind of like second class. And I don't in any way want to diminish um, our concept in America as Western in Western civilization where we have been led by the Lord to love children who are homeless and fatherless and motherless. There are families in this church who've adopted multiple children and we're grateful. But I just want to tell you that Western concept has nothing to do with the Eastern idea of adoption. It is the, the Greek word, and I, I didn't put the Greek characters up here because it really is just a waste of time. We might have one or two people in the church that have maybe been to Bible college or seminary and might be familiar with it a little bit. But this is the English transliteration, which is if you say the Greek word for adoption, then it would sound the way this is sort of grammatically uh, put out there for you, to say it, okay? Uh, Weothesia. Weothesia. Try it. Everybody say it. Weothesia. The, the accent is on the C. Weothesia. And it means the placement of a full-grown son. The placement of a full-grown son. It has nothing to do with the Western idea of bringing a, an orphan child, homeless, fatherless, motherless, into your home and making that your child. The, the Hebrew idea of adoption is taking one who has my DNA, who is marked with my 
my, my body, my genetic makeup, my child, my son, my daughter are marked by me and my wife. And I want you to see this, that contrary to the way some of us have been taught, you are not adopted. You can't enter the kingdom of God by adoption. You have to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Is that not the Bible? John 3, except you be born of the water and the spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in verse 7, he says, except you be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So several things there quickly. You don't enter the kingdom when you die. You enter the kingdom when you're born again. I'm in the kingdom of God right now. Everybody say now. Because I'm no longer a slave. I'm God's child. And since I'm his child, God has made me his heir. I'm giving you that verse as many different ways as I know how. You're born again. Now let me just reinforce that. The Apostle Peter, in his first letter, the epistle of 1 Peter, he says in chapter 1, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. It says that we were born again by the word of God. That's the same thing that Jesus was born into the world as the God-man. The Bible says in the book of Luke, Gabriel the angel is speaking and he says to Mary the virgin that holy child one translation says that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of the highest the Holy Spirit will descend and cover you and the word of God births and so he was the pre-incarnate word before the worlds were ever formed he comes into the world as the visible God man Jesus Christ son of God God of, God of very God light of very light as the Nicene Creed says so he is God in the flesh he is Emmanuel but he comes into that place man and God at the same time by the word God speaks a virgin womb immaculately conceives and she delivers nine months later and the God man is laid in a manger in Bethlehem uh, John 1 it says we are born. It says, uh, he that received, those who received him were given the power to become the sons of God who were born not of flesh nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. So you were born again because God sent his word and regenerated you. Everybody say regeneration. Okay? So this is what I want you to see. The idea of adoption in the Hebrew mindset is an issue of maturity. It's taking a son who is marked with my very own DNA and he grows up and matures, he learns to take responsibility and the more he grows and matures and takes responsibility, the more authority he's given. He's 16, he gets the keys to the car. Son, be responsible. I'm entrusting you, don't break my trust. Be responsible when you drive. Even more so when you have other people in the automobile with you. The boy who at three was just as much the son in the house as he is at 16. At three, he was not ready though. Everybody say the right time. Come on, are you getting anything out of this this morning? So the issue is, right now, my relationship to God determines my identity. I'm a child of God, but i got to grow up if I'm going to walk in any authority in the kingdom of God. I have to grow up. Look at your neighbor and say, grow up. All right, so adoption is this idea of coming to a place of full maturity where God trusts us enough like the Hebrew dad literally would say okay son you've proven yourself you've been faithful you've remained teachable you've, uh, I, I can depend on you you're accountable guess what I'm going to give you the keys to the business now this is now Grady and Sons Incorporated that's my dad's name it's God and Sons Incorporated 30 in scripture is the number of maturity jo uh, Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt when he was 30 years old David becomes the king over all of Israel when he's 30 years old. How many of you remember how old Jesus was when he walked down to the Jordan River to be baptized by his cousin John the Baptist? Say it. 30. 30 years old. 30. Everybody say 30. 30 is the number of maturity. And John, I believe, who knew that Jesus was special... Uh, saw him in a different life than he'd ever seen him before. He comes walking down the road and the, the dust is swirling up around him and the wind and, and John is preaching, repent. And the people are gathering out there to see him literally as this leather-clad, wild and crazy kind of preacher out in the wilderness. And he says, baptize me. And John says, he, he, he declares, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I believe he knew Jesus was special, but I don't believe it was till that moment until God sort of pulled back a revelation, a pull back the cover, and he showed, G, he showed John who Jesus 
was and who he was going to be, the destiny that was before him. And so John says, no, you need to baptize me. Jesus says, no, let me be baptized. You allow it to be so in order to fulfill all righteousness. He goes down in the water, is baptized by his cousin John. He comes up out of the water. and The Bible says the Holy Spirit like a dove. Now, it's not a dove. Everybody say, the Holy Ghost is not a bird. Say it. The Holy Ghost is not a bird. It's okay to go dove hunting in September. I remember I had a lady one time says, how can you shoot that? I just think it's the Holy Ghost every time I'm shooting it. I said, no, ma'am, no. No, that's stupid. I didn't say it to her, but that's just that's, that's stupid gone to seed. No, the Holy Ghost is not a bird. It says, like a dove, the Holy Spirit sat down on him, and there was a voice from heaven. Does anybody remember what the voice from heaven said? Behold, this is my beloved son. That's it right there, weos. It's full-grown, mature son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear, what did he say? Hear ye him, if you're quoting King James. Now, Jesus from his birth was God of very God, light of very light, Emmanuel, God with us. But he was adopted when he was 30 years old. His recognition, his full placement as a grown, mature son his ministry was about to begin because he had been faithful in the little things and God says, now I'm going to make you ruler over mush. Promotion just came and everybody say, the right time. The right time. So you're looking for promotion and blessing in your life? Show up when it's not convenient. Have a good attitude when everybody else is snarky. When everybody else is gritching. Have a smile on your face. Forgive. Love. Have faith. Walk in the very fundamentals of what it means to be a believer. Act like Jesus would act. Guess what? When it's time for your promotion, at the right time, you'll bring, God will bring promotion into your life. Don't shout me down. I'm preaching real good. Every businessman in this room or businesswoman says, oh, if the people who are Christians who think I owe them a job would just get a little of that in them, it would change their lives. All right, that, that, I'm going to dribble that ball again and throw it back out at you. Every person in the community who is a Christian business owner, deals with the mentality of believers sometimes that think you owe them a job because you're a Christian business owner and they're a Christian, maybe even go to their church. And sometimes those folks have the worst attitude of anybody. Well, you got to forgive me. I'm a Christian brother. Well, you know what? I ha- I'm going to forgive you and you're fired. I love you in Jesus' name, but go get you a job somewhere else. And by the way, here's a, here's a tip for you. Grow up. It's a little hard this morning. Do you still love me? How many of you know this is the kind of stuff that will help us? Hallelujah. All right, I'm clarifying adoption. There's an outline that I'd like you to go ahead and put up in the the, the booth. The verses 1 through 3, what we were, we were bound. If you're taking notes, just fill that in. I'm not going to go back and rehearse verses 1 through 3. Verses 4 and 5, what God did, He redeemed us. He bought us our freedom. And then I have a slide here I want you to see. We're going to do a little bit of comparison. Because I want you to see this morning the difference between a child and a full-grown son. Normally I have my little pointer around here. There it is. Okay. So we're seeing the difference between the child, who is an heir, and the son. Okay. This is weos, full-grown son. This is pideon. We almost get the word pediatric from it. Okay. Now, you're born into the kingdom by, everybody say, regeneration. Okay, Genesis is the word that's here at the root of this. You, you, you're born in the, in the flesh and the natural when you're born of your mother's womb, but you're born again by regeneration. That's how you enter the family. You're born again, but you're under guardians until you mature. You are an heir in potential, but you have no what? Now, the difference between these two is that the full-grown son has been declared that he has the authority. He's proven himself, and the time set by the father, he was under guardians until the exact time the father set, the age of maturity. So his adoption, even though he's fully invested with the DNA of his parents, he's not an orphan that comes from a different historical uh, shared history with another family, a different medical history, a different ethnicity sometimes. Now, let me just say this. Do not think that I'm throwing off on our Western idea. It's just that our Western idea confuses us about what the Bible idea of adoption is. Okay, God wants us to take in families and children that are different than we are, that don't have our DNA and love them and make them part of our families and invest in them and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But the idea in the Bible, and let me just say this to you, 
God has no stepchildren. You're not a red-headed stepchild that God is obligated to take care of. You are bone of His bone, flesh of His flesh, born by His seed, the sperma of God. The Word of God birthed you, and you're part of the family of God by regeneration. But guess what? There comes a time when you can actually begin to enjoy, not just enter the family, but enjoy all the privileges and the rights and the responsibilities of what it means to be a full heir, a full heir of the Father, and the liberty of an adult. You're not waiting to tell, hear what the tutor or the governor or the governess or the guardian is demanding that you do because now you've reached that age set by the Father as your age of accountability. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, we need to grow up. Relationship determines identity. Maturity determines authority. Now if I stop right there, that's a message in itself enough to make you go home and think and go, God forgive me for whining about the problems that I have. Help me to look at them in a new light. Because growth means responsibility. Responsibility means you learn how to deal with problems. And you know what? If you've got a problem, bless God, it means you're breathing. And if you're breathing, you're alive. You've got something to be thankful for. Come on, somebody. Number two, going backwards in a hurry. So Paul basically says, you want to go back to this place of being a slave? You want to enter into a guardian status relationship even though you're a child of God and already an heir? but you want to go backwards. It's kind of this idea of sometimes through all the religious activities, we're literally like little hamsters on a wheel and we're, we're sweating. We've got all kinds of religious activity going on in our lives, but we're not going anywhere. It's like, like you're on a plane and the pilot comes over the sound system and he says, ladies and gentlemen, we've lost our GPS and we don't know where we are, but we're making good time. If that is anything, that's the definition of mindless religious activity because you think somebody expects you to do these things in order to be a Christian. And I grew up in a church that if my hair touched my collar, then I was going to hell. And you sure better not have any facial hair because you're going to hell. And the women didn't cut their hair and didn't wear makeup and... And it just—it was just crazy. Sometimes the men would come in all dressed to the nines in a three-piece suit and a hundred-dollar tie and a big old handkerchief that matched the tie, and they were just just strutting roosters. And Mama's dressed in a gunny sack. She's holy. Hallelujah. No makeup. Have mercy. I remember my daddy said one time. He said, "You know, even an old barn looks better with a fresh coat of paint." And we have no barns in our churches. Everybody in this church is a brick house in the name of Jesus. According to the Commodores, amen. The prophet Lionel Richie. Ha! We're going backwards in a hurry. Uh, help me, Holy Ghost. I got to edit. Verse 8, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that did not, do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and the useless spiritual principles of the world? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days and months and seasons or years. Now, I can't chase this rabbit. I wish I could wrestle it down, but there's some folk who get so legalistic about legalism, they think that you shouldn't have Christmas, that you shouldn't observe your birthday. They'll take that verse right there. And it really just, I mean, just get all bound up in trying to be free from legalism and they become legalistic legalisms, whatever. There ain't nothing wrong with celebrating your birthday. Just do it to the glory of God. Nothing wrong with putting up a Christmas tree. Remember who it's about and do it to the glory of God. And if you don't do it, then do, don't do it to the glory of God and don't criticize the person who does do it because he or she should be doing it to the glory of God. And we should all agree to disagree because those things don't make a hill of beans a difference in your salvation. Help me say amen this morning. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. They're moving away from liberty into legalism and they're going backwards. Sometimes you think you're going through all this activity and it's progress and you turn around only to find out that you're going the opposite direction. Your progress is actually regressing, going the wrong way. Relationship determines identity, but maturity determines authority. Last point and I'm finished. Challenges of fathering. Everybody in this room who's a parent knows exactly what I'm about to say to you this morning. You know what it means. You, you labor, you work hard, sometimes multiple jobs. 
to provide everything your children need and most of what they want. And sometimes you see things happening in their lives and you go, you know what, that store's closed. The time when you can just always go to daddy and, and get a couple of 20s out of his wallet, you know, God, daddy says, you know what, I want you to join me down at the, at the job site. I want you to work a little bit and show up and be on time and learn how to have a good attitude and how to deal with other people that are not always lovely. Learn how to have some customer appreciation if you're going to take over this business. It's yours right now, but let me tell you, boy, you're not ready. Let me tell you, sweetie, you got some growing up to do. Now, those are hard words, and, and, and you know, when we're 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, that's the last thing we want to hear our parents say. But if our parents really do love us, they'll look us in the face and tell us what we don't want to hear. Guy Penrod, who has sung for years, the long-haired, gray-haired guy with the Gaither vocal band, heard Abby two years ago, and he said, Michael, he said, I'm going to tell you, he said, she has a world-class voice, and she's going to be on a world stage. She needs a team around her that will look her in the face and tell her what she doesn't want to hear sometimes because we, we want to pray a hedge of protection around her so she can be a light in the middle of all that darkness in the music industry. And she said, he said to me, everybody who knows who Guy is, the Gaither Vocal Band, he said, listen, I've, I, he said, we get people all the time who send stuff into the office and think they can sing, and we just all kind of roll our eyes. He said, but everybody in the whole office stopped when we heard Abby. Now, I'm not bragging on my child. I'm telling you, a father, no matter how gifted your child is, sometimes will look at him and go, honey, I love you, but you need to just take it down about three notches. How many know what I'm telling is the truth? And, and, and sometimes it's so easy when you're 15, 16, 18, even 21, 25 years old to really get so full of yourself, and you need people around you that you trust enough to let them speak into your life. This is what Paul is doing. He says, dear brothers and sisters, he said, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from all these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from these laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. He says, surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. He'd been on a boat on a missionary journey, probably sick with a cold or maybe the flu or maybe a dysentery, maybe, maybe a stomach condition, who knows. But when he got there, he was in pretty rough shape, and they loved him and took care of him because they knew that he says it this way, but even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. So there's a thing that we do when we honor ministry, when we honor the leaders that God has sent us, even if they're struggling. I want to tell you how much I have to thank you, how you've endured me getting up here and sobbing through my grief sometimes in the middle of a message when it would hit me or during worship. And I've just feared, oh God, I don't want to wear them out of what I'm going through, but I'm so grateful because you've loved me back into emotional health. He says, where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? Have you lost the love and feeling? Where is it? I don't sense it. I'm sure that you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if, I had, if it had been possible. Five verses and I'm finished. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Oh my gosh. There are times I remember as a teenager, I thought my dad hated me, but he loved me. He loved me to tell me the truth. I remember when I was a little kid and I had gotten in trouble and he would send me to the backyard with a knife and he would make me cut the switch he was going to spank me with. And I was praying all the way, I bind this in the name of Jesus, I bind the devil. And nothing happened, I got, I got a whooping. And he would always say, son, this hurts me worse than it does you. I said, I was thinking, I didn't dare say it, but I was thinking, you outside your mind. It's my backside that's getting hit here. And you know what? He, he never bruised me or never drew blood or anything like that. People who abuse children, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just godly discipline. And when they get too big to spank, you, you, you set them down and you go, nope, taking away all these privileges, that's the only way I can get your attention. And let me tell you, this is how it is. Do you, you think I've become your enemy because I'm just trying to help you grow up? No, thank God I had some parents that would tell me what I didn't want to hear. Hallelujah. Are you, are you following me this morning? He says, those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you'll pay attention only to them. And that's what a spirit of division tries to do. It comes in the church and you know, it'll get mad at the children's pastor and it'll just whisper around and be mad. You know, we just Pastor Haley, blah, 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 blah. 
Well, Pastor Michael too, because he's back in there. And Pastor Jeremy. And now even my life group leader told me the same thing. Just a mess. And they just start criticizing everybody because they're trying to separate you from the, from the rest of the flock and make you only listen to them and not listen to the word of the Lord. Come on, somebody help me. This applies to today. We have to guard our culture. He says, if someone is eager to do these things for you, that's all right, but let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. Two verses and I'm finished. Verse 19, oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. So he's fathering them, but he's also mothering them. He's talking about having labor pains. Verse 19, Galatians 4, the King James says, My little children, I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. So Paul was looking for the believers to not just have an identity based on relationship, but he was looking for them to grow up and mature so they could walk in authority. Somebody say amen. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone, but at this distance I don't know how else to help you. So he's writing a letter, and the letter's got a couple little... Whack. Oh, man, that kind of hits you from the side. Your relationship with God determines your identity. Everybody say, child of God. But your maturity determines your authority. Everybody say, grow up. So that's where we are right now. We don't want to stay in a place where we're heir of all of it, but we don't have any ability to exercise our authority in it. Because you're not only a child, but God's made you an heir. Your position in Christ is that you're a full-grown son. But sometimes our condition doesn't match our position. We need to grow. We need to grow in the Word. How do you grow? The Bible says, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. You'll never outgrow the milk of the Word. Now, you grow up and you begin to grow some teeth and you start to eat the bread of the Word. And then you have meat in due season. And so every time we gather, I try to prepare a whole meal. It's the bread of the Word, the meat of the Word, and the milk of the Word. And the babies can drink the milk. Those that are a little more mature can eat the bread, and then those that are mature can have a whole meal. The bread, the meat, the beverage. But you'll never get too old for the milk. As a matter of fact, the milk is how you grow. Folks who think all they ought to have is just a steak all the time, and they want something really exotic and some heavy revelation. You know, if you eat real rich food all the time, it'll just tear your system all to pieces. I'll let you interpret those tongues this morning. And folk that have to have all kind of hyper-spiritual, heavy revelation all the time, their lives are in a constant state of spiritual diarrhea. They're just a mess. Man, I'm preaching so deep in three different layers there. Just always in a mess. Got to hear something new, hear something deep, some kind of revelation that nobody else knows. And thinks that they're mature because they're feasting on all this really exotic food, spiritual food all the time. When really what they need to do is just get established and grow in the milk and the bread of the word and enjoy the meat when it's there to be provided but how many of you know if all you eat is meat all the time you'll make yourself sick you need some milk so wherever you are this morning how do I grow pastor well first of all you begin by being born again in the kingdom of God you enter by regeneration and you do that by simply putting your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ as they bring the lights down low this morning I'd like you to ask you to bow your head close your eyes nobody's looking